comments um, before I jump in with my sermon today about our meeting following uh, our, our service here today. We are actually just going to continue our service and move into the, uh, the congregational meeting as an act of worship. So there'll be essentially no break. We're going to have to work at the transition in terms of time. There's an 11 o'clock uh, start time for those who will be Zooming in with us. And for those of you who are watching online, if you want to participate, uh, an email was sent, hopefully to all of our people um, on Tuesday, and there's a Zoom link there that you're going to have to get off whatever you're viewing on now and, and Zoom in, and uh, we'll leave that to you in terms of the timing that uh, we eventually end up with. But uh, a little bit of a briefer worship service so that we can get to the le that 11 o'clock hour on time, and we're well ahead of the game. I got like 48 minutes. Woo! I, I promise I won't preach at all, because we do need to sing also. But uh, yeah, we're looking forward to a good meeting, um, thinking about the raw carrot, uh, a pretty vibrant ministry downtown Woodstock, and uh, blessing lives, and uh, you'll hear more about that as well as hear about their financials, and then we'll, we'll talk about where we stand as a church financially, and it's good news, and it's good that it's good news, and we're looking forward to, uh, to that time. So um, yeah, let me pray, and let's just invite God to work here today. Lord, we think of worship as a time when we meet with you, a time which we set aside for you, a holy time, a time where we uh, come and we gather, whether now we're in this building or whether we're at home, and uh, we place ourselves under your word, uh, that which is the authority of our lives, for it is in this book, our God, that you have spoken, and as you are the authoritative one, so now we come to listen to you. And we would pray that you would speak clearly and profoundly into our lives. I pray, Lord, that I might speak faithfully to this incredibly inspired book, that what I say is a true reflection of the truth that is printed in, in, in this text. But God, we pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit and that we would be people who don't just listen and, and um, hear, but Lord, that we be people who engage with you at this time. So speak. Allow us to listen in faith and in obedience. Allow us, Lord, to grapple if we need to grapple with what you have to say as your people have over a millennia. But uh, Lord, we, we long to meet with you now. We long to encounter God again in his word. So bless us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are considering uh, for a second Sunday, uh, second of five, this series that we've entered into. E Eternity is now in session. Life groups are or will be studying it in, in, uh, in their homes and otherwise. And I thought maybe a really good question to start our time together very simply is this. Who here is living in eternal life? I thought that might be a good way to pose the question. It's not a matter of who has it just. It's a matter of who's living in it, who's encountering it. We laid some groundwork last week, and for those of you who might not have been um, uh, here uh, in various ways, eternal life is not just saying a prayer to get into heaven and to get out of hell. A prayer can be a very meaningful expression of faith. It can be a profound thing, but it's not just that. It's not knowing the right answers to the questions, having our minds filled with biblical knowledge about God, about ourselves, about whatever. It's way more than information. Eternal life to Jesus, and Jesus defines it in John 17. He says is to, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. 
so that we live in this dynamic relationship which we have with the Lord Jesus, where we experience God in deeper and more profound ways so that we come not just to know about him, we come to know him because we have lived in relationship with him. We have encountered him. Now, there are four ways we're going to experience God um, in our lives, and, and they're going to be delineated over the next four weeks. And we'll just post those now. There are four elements to this experience of eternal life. One is awakening. Wakening up to God. The next is purgation. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand why they use the word purgation. Anybody actually like the word? Oh, our, our, our English professor back there thinks it's a wonderful word. Um, but just very simply, it has the connotation of purging ourselves of sin. Purgation. And then uh, next is uh, illumination. When, when our eyes are open to see more deeply and more profoundly the things of God, and in the end, it's union with God. Now, here's the critical thing about this series. As we walk through each of these four over the next four weeks, we're going to recognize that these things happen when we initially come to faith. And they're incredible, uh, incredible realities of how we encounter God. But the critical element to the series is that that's not where eternal life ends. We can continue to experience each of these as we go through life in our relationship with God through Christ. And in the end, we experience the dynamic of God in our lives so that we come to know him in a more profound and an increasingly deeper measure than we have before. So we begin our lives with awakening, illumination, pur sorry, purgation, illumination, and union, but we carry on in an experience of God in each of these four ways. And that, in a sense, as the text or the material is saying, is what eternal life looks like. So I ask you again, are you living in eternal life? Is it, is it your experience? Is it, is it an increasing journey of knowing God more deeply and being just awed? by the reality of who God is. We're going to start today with awakening. And it's an essentially, think of it in this way, simply an experience of waking up to God. Waking up to God. Going to look at the life of Peter and to learn about his awakening, uh, which we in our own way can have with Jesus. We're going to begin by Matthew 16, 15, and 16. Uh, it's a famous passage. Jesus has been dialoguing with his disciples um, various people are, are saying all kinds of things about Jesus, but Jesus comes along in verse 15 of chapter 16, and he asks this question, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this is a climactic moment. If you study the book of Matthew, this is the pinnacle. This is the center point. You know, it's a significant time. It's a significant moment. Jesus asks all of them, who do you say that I am? But it's Peter that answers. Had the others come to this point? Had others come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, sent of God to save the nation of Israel? Did the others believe at this point that Jesus was the, 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 the Messiah, the son of the living God? Well, we don't know because they didn't answer, but Peter answered. He has had this experience of Jesus. He's been with Jesus for some time. He has seen the miracles. He has heard the preaching. He has been taught the, the, the truth. And he has had those quiet discussions with Jesus after the fact. He has been with Jesus. He's, he's been exposed to Christ for long enough. And he comes to this place of faith. 
And he makes this dramatic profession of faith. This is who I believe you are. He speaks to the identity of Jesus. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Um, beautiful moment. It's an awakening that has taken place by the work of God's spirit in his life. And he sees what he didn't see before. I want to tell you, my friends, this is a critical question for each of us to answer. Every human being actually needs to be asked this question and respond to it. Who do you, Jesus asks us this morning, say that I am? Um, you know, a lot of people in this world have no idea. They, they really don't think about Jesus and they don't have much of an answer for the question. Some people think still that he was a mythical figure, um, defying the historical um, evidence that Jesus lived. Some people think of Jesus as a great moral teacher, that this Sermon on the Mount that we looked at through the summer is a profound moral uh, teaching that is probably, the, for, for many people, even non-Christians, the greatest moral teaching ever given. But my friends, some people wake up, they, they open their eyes to see Christ, and they recognize that he's the Son of God. And this is where faith begins. Think of it as this, there's a movement in people's lives. There's a movement from, from ignorance to interest to engagement to belief. And I wonder where all of us are at today in that journey. How, mon how many of us have gone from knowing nothing about Jesus? Maybe some of us are now in that place of interest and we're listening and we're reading and like Peter rubbed shoulders with Jesus, and then some of us have moved beyond interest to real engagement. They, like Peter, have chosen to pursue. And then some of us have come to a place of saying, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're from God. You are anointed by the Spirit of God to save. You are the Son of the living God. My friends, we need, we need this awakening, every one of us. Happens in different ways to different people. Some, sometimes, and I think probably most often, I'm not sure, but it, it happens when we encounter a time of real struggle and heartache and difficulty and pain. Sometimes that's why God allows us to go through those seasons because it's there. And this is certainly the case in my life with this guy with a very thick skull. We're, kind of, we're, we're, we're shaken and, 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 and we're called to think more deeply and profoundly about life. And we look beyond ourselves for something that we need. And we turn to Jesus and we find him alive and real and able to carry us through. Sometimes it's a time of joy. You know, the birth of a child or falling in love and we just see the goodness of God written all over our lives. And we recognize there's something at work in us. Sometimes it's a time when you sit in, a, in an experience like this and the word of God is preached and the word of God becomes God's word to you powerfully and real and you know that God is speaking to you and you know that Jesus is alive. Um, but each of us need to come to that place, that encounter, that initial awakening to see Jesus ultimately as our Savior, the one who died on the cross to forgive our sins and our Lord. <laughs> our authority, our leader. Because indeed, he is the son of the living God. We enter into relationship through awakening. Have you? Well, Peter's awakening carries on. It continues in something that is called the transfiguration. And I'm going to read this experience, and we're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. It's Matthew 17, the, the chapter just following. 
uh, what I have just read, and it's verses 1 to 8 that we'll look at today. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Remember, six days. It's all that's happened since Peter made his great proclamation of faith. There he was, Jesus, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I wish, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Um... <laughs> Talk about an awakening. <laughs> talk, talk about, you know, waking up as, as you might have this morning and, and, you know, you're not really aware of very much, but your eyes open and you recognize reality which surrounds you. They ha Peter has this and these other disciples as well, this experience of Jesus where they wake up in a deeper and more profound way to who Jesus really is. Wow. If Peter had experienced Jesus just six days before and he had an awakening, well, my goodness, he's had a further awakening through the transfiguration. If he has previously identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, now he is waking up to the fact of Jesus. And what does he see? He sees the glory of Jesus. It says that his face was, was dazzlingly bright. It says in the text that his clothes were as, as light Really common in the Bible when people awaken further to God, when they encounter God in, in, in profound ways that they see light so that they are awakened to God. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments and he came down. And can you remember what his face was like? He said it shone so brightly people had to cover his face. I imagine him with a lampshade on his head for some reason. I don't know. But he was too bright to look at because he had been with the glorious, bright light of the universe. You know, Paul, on, his, on the road to Damascus, he was struck by a beam of what? Light. Jesus, the light of the world, spoke into his life. And, and he was struck to the ground, and though he left that place with his physical eyes blinded, he left that place with his spiritual eyes open, having been awakened to the reality of Jesus. Who he was, his identity, had been made clear to him. So people encounter, as did Peter, the glory of Jesus Peter encountered the eternality of Jesus. Was, was Jesus just a man and a prophet? Was he just another humble, humble rabbi? After this experience, Peter and the others would have known he was not just a man or a good moral teacher or another prophet like many, many other people. Here they saw him standing and speaking with Moses and Elijah, people long dead, but people who yet lived. And then Peter saw Jesus in his power. And the three of them, Peter included, were afraid and they fell at the feet of Jesus. They lay on the ground prostrate before him. See, Peter in this moment, in this moment of awakening, 
glimpsed the spiritual realm where Jesus was exalted. More than he had known him before. And he woke up to a deeper understanding of his Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul speaking to the Ephesian Christians. It says this, This is why it is said, and it's a quote, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't that an amazing thing for Paul to say to Christians? Wake up, people. Wake up. You need to open your eyes, and you need to see the reality of what is more than you already have. See, the implication is that there is movement from sleeping and seeing nothing to being awake and seeing spiritual reality. My friends, I'm here to tell you today, we all need to wake up in this way. We all can wake up in this ongoing experience of awakening. I don't know how that grabs you, but I'm excited by that. That I and every one of us here and everyone who's watching, we can further have our eyes open to see who Jesus is. The transfigured one. And to experience the impact of that in our lives. We need to see Jesus more than we do. Um, and I want to tell you, my friends, when these moments of transfiguration, can I call it that? I don't think we'll all see Jesus talking to Elijah and Moses. It would be nice. But when they occur, we will be encountering eternal life. That's it. We'll be there. We'll be living it. We'll be getting to know our God more deeply and more profoundly, just as Peter did. And we can do this over and over and over again. And another question I might ask, if you have had that initial experience of faith, and I'm not going to assume all of us have just because you're in church, but if you've had that initial experience of faith, if you've experienced Jesus enough to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you've come to know that dynamic reality in your life, hold it in your heart. Is your awakening continuing? Is it continuing? You see, it's possible to get stuck. I'm going to call it that. It's possible to get stuck at the front end of eternal life and to think that, you know what, I'm in the kingdom of God, I have, uh, I have entered into eternal life, and that's enough. And there is no more that there is no more deepening, no more eye-opening wakefulness. No more living with Jesus in such profound ways that we end up blown away because we have encountered the exalted Christ. This is a call to more. Are you hearing it? This is an invitation to something greater. And you are knowing Jesus. And I guess, I guess what I'm saying here today, what Scripture's crying out to us, with Jesus, there's always more. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how long I've been in the kingdom. There's always more that we can know of this exalted, glorious, eternal, powerful one. Now, the story goes on, and, and Peter wants to build altars to mark the moment. You know, I'll, we'll build an altar to you, Jesus, and to Moses and Elijah. What he is simply doing is reverting to his tradition, if you want to call it that. 
Because in the Old Testament, when people encountered God, they would build an altar. They would mark the moment. They would mark the place. Here is where I met God. Here is where I had an incredible awakening, if you would. But while he is saying these words, I want you to mark this. While he's saying the words, the text says that God, the Father, speaks. God interrupts Peter. Um, which in itself is another experience of eternal life, isn't it? It's, it's like the father comes along and he cuts Peter off. <laughs> Literally, mid-sentence. God butts in. It's as much as to say, Peter, stop talking. Peter, listen to what I'm saying right now. Just stop talking and listen to me. And then, of course, what, what God the Father does is identify Jesus as his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. Similar words to the baptism statement. It's the identity question again. And it's like, wow. <laughs> How must Peter have reacted to that? I'm going to ask you a question. Has God ever interrupted you in your life? In your speaking? Uh, he's interrupted me a lot. <laughs> Again, hard-hearted, right? Scotsman. Scots-Irishman, you know. What could get worse? What a combination, huh? And very often when God has interrupted me, it's in, it, it is through those moments of heartache and difficulty and challenge and pain. And he has spoken into my life. And it's in those places, I'd say more than anything else, by far that I have been had an awakening and I've seen God anew and I've seen him in power and I've seen him act in my life to save me and to provide for me and to heal me and to carry me forward to bring me comfort as is necessary. There the living God awakens me to his reality and I see more deeply into the nature of God. Yeah, God interrupts us. It's almost like in this instance, God literally shuts Peter down mid-statement. He says, listen, I want you, Peter, to make Jesus central to your life. You know, I, it, this, it's not, this life is not about your, you, and it's not about your words, and it's not about your thoughts, and it's not about your desires anymore. It's about Jesus, who he is. And it's about his words. And it's about his thoughts, and it's about his desires. This is the new reality into which you have entered, Peter. Stop talking. Remember, it was just six days prior that Peter makes his great statement, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and literally some sentences later, he's arguing with Jesus about going to the cross. He's telling Jesus what to do because he thinks he knows. Can you imagine after this awakening, this deeper, more profound revelation of who Jesus is, that he would do the same thing, you can't imagine it, and he didn't. He ends up face down on the ground, silent. See, God is saying to Peter, Peter, you've got to get, you get past yourself. You've got to get beyond this reality, and you have to be quiet in the presence of glory and, and eternality and, 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 and power. Why are you talking? 
You hear the prof- profundity of that, right? I can sense it here. We do a lot of talking. <laughs> and we do a lot of thinking and we do a lot of desiring. But my goodness, we have to get into the presence of Jesus. We need these awakenings. We need these deepening of understanding. We need to see the eternality of, of the exalted Jesus. And we need to be quiet. And we need to humble ourselves in his presence. And we just need to get to that point where our life is not about us, it's about following him. Well, the three become afraid and they fall down at Jesus' feet. And this is worship, isn't it? Uh, Can can you think of a better um, illustration, picture, of people worshiping uh, than people falling on the ground before Jesus, humbling themselves in his presence. Peter didn't fall down before he just made the statement, but now he's on the ground before the exalted one. And they're all quiet and they're all submitted to Jesus. This is what worship is and their lives are yielded to him. And I want to tell you, The awakening that we can have with Jesus, the awakenings that we can have with Jesus lead us to worship, real worship, not just being in a building or sitting on a couch at home, good as all this is, but to getting to that place where we too fall at the feet of Jesus in recognition for who he is because we have been shown who he is. Do you see the waking up that can happen in our lives? Moving beyond what was once sight, but now we recognize, well, I was asleep, but I need to wake up to a greater understanding and a greater knowledge. And what follows is Jesus, text says that he touches them. I love that. He's exalted and powerful and eternal, but he has the love and the affection within him to touch them and to assure them. And he tells them to get up, and they do. And he leads them down the mountain. To what? If you, if you carry on in the text, and we're not going to do it because I didn't think I'd have time. Um, he leads them down the mountain into a life of ministry and of service to others. He leads them down the mountain and immediately they are confronted by a child, a little boy who is possessed by a demon. And Jesus casts the demon out of his life. He frees him. He heals him. And what he does is to bring eternal life in a very real way into the realm of that little child and into the realm of that family. And they too have an awakening about who Jesus is. I want to tell you, my friends, those people entered into eternal life that day. And I want to tell you too that when we awaken to Jesus Christ, in increasing measure, our lives move in increasing measure, measure toward being centered around him in humility and in service to him and in ministry for him so that we too take eternal life into the lives of others. You see, awakening leads people to surrender. It leads them to obedience. It leads them to humility so that our lives are no longer about us. 
I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Paul wrote. It's not about us anymore. When you have seen Jesus, the exalted one, and you end up on your face before him because of what you have encountered of him, life's no longer about us. It's about Christ. And it's about the desire of Jesus and the call of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus that we can participate in to bring eternal life into the lives of other people. It's a life of surrender and of obedience. A life of faith. See, my friends, what I'm essentially saying today is we need experiences of transfiguration. We need experiences where we waken up in a new way to see what we did not see before. We move from slumber into wide-eyed amazement as we encounter the exalted Christ. On this day, Jesus invited three men up a mountain with him. And they went. <laughs> and there their lives were changed. And I'm here to tell you, as I tell myself the same truth, don't ever think it's otherwise, we today are invited through the word of God to transfiguration in our own way as provided by the spirit of God in our lives that we might be awakened again. Some, maybe for the first time, some of us, I don't know. But for those of us who have been awakened to who Jesus is for the first time, there is more. There is more. And we have to go up the mountain. Can you imagine that day if Peter and James and, and John um, were invited by Jesus to go up the mountain and they said, listen, Jesus, I'm kind of busy. I got a lot on my plate today. My schedule's packed. There are things that I need to attend to. I'm just, I can't go. <laughs> Can you imagine what they would have missed? We know what they would have missed. But they said yes to Jesus and went up the mountain. Sometimes, as I've described it to you, we go up the mountain of heartache and challenge and difficulty and pain. And sometimes it's on that mountain that we encounter the living Lord Jesus, powerful and exalted. Sometimes it's Jesus invites us to the mountain of following him in a way that we would never go on our own, or maybe we don't even want to go. But he says, follow me. And as we follow him up the mountain, the challenge, the, the, the challenge to faith of being faithful to him and going after him, there we encounter Christ providing for us and leading us, answering our prayers in profound and remarkable ways. And we're left going, wow, Jesus. I see who you are. I've, I've been shaken from my slumber. I get it. Sometimes the mountain is simply us practicing spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices they're called now, of solitude and of silence and of study of scripture and of prayer and of giving and all these things that we're called to where we simply just place ourselves in the presence of the living Lord Jesus. And so often it's a matter of being quiet before him. And Jesus shakes us and says, wake up, I'm here, and today you'll see me more. I want to tell you, my friends, Jesus calls us up the mountain today. 
And then I, I want to know, well, you, you know. I don't want to know. You know in your heart of hearts. What's your response to him? What will you do? Deuteronomy 4.29. Love the verse. Let me read it to you. It says this, But if from there, from that place, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you hear the invitation? Seeking God. We studied it in the summer. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. My goodness, what, what a moment it is when we are in deep need and Jesus provides us miraculously the things that we need. We're left in awe of the exalted one and, his, uh, and, and in awe of his power and of his love for us and of his attention to us. Guess what I'm saying is all of us here need to wake up just a little bit more. And it's in the Lord's heart to shake us and say, hey, whisper into our ears, I'm here. I want to show you a little more of who I am. My friends, the session is called Eternity is Now in Session. You get it, right? In increasing measure, I hope. It's here and it's now. It's our relationship with Christ. It's our experience of him which leads us to that place. of Okay, time to get in my face in his presence. And it's for each of us to hear the call to go up the mountain, to say yes and to seek and to pray for, to ask for a greater knowledge of Jesus. You know, there is conviction in scripture that if we will seek him we're told we will find him right it's there and what i want to do as we conclude this time is to just give you a few moments if you wish to say lord jesus i want to know you more i want an awakening i want my next awakening if from there you seek the lord your god you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Who wants that today? Eternity is now in session. It's for us to live in. So let's have a moment of silent prayer as you, whether you're in your home or whether you're here with us today, just speak to the Lord in this. If, you, if you're being awakened for the first time, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Forgive my sin, come into my life. I'm amazed and I want you to be my Lord and I want you to be my Savior. Just invite him in. Recognize who he is in your life. And if you've entered into eternal life and you want more of him, let him know. Just pray from your heart with passion. Letting Jesus know your desire today. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, one of the many things which you, uh, statements that you used to describe yourself was that you are the bread of life. And we're told to be hungry for you. Hungry for you. And my prayer, Lord, for this congregation of people and all those who listen is that they would be hungry for more of God. Passionate to know you more deeply, more profoundly. Eager to experience you. So that they might encounter that next awakening that you have for them and then the one after that and then the one after that. Lord, even this hunger is a work of your spirit and we pray for it in our lives. And we pray that as we encounter you through whatever circumstance, Lord, we'll be left like Peter and James and John who went down the mountain ready to serve you with their whole lives. Come, Holy Spirit of God, and work within us in this way. Lead us to that place of transfiguration. And this we ask in Jesus' name.